I'm not going to lie to you, I've been up for three days straight, so that's why I need another cup of coffee, and uh, this could get interesting. <laughs> All right, well, let me pray. Oh, well, before I pray, let me, just, let me just start the conversation like this, just to kind of keep it real. You guys good with that? How many of you guys have ever been in a situation in your life where you honestly just found yourself not knowing what to do? Like, I just don't know what to do right now, right? Like, I just, I, 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 it's not like I, had, I haven't gone to school. I mean, some of us went to public school. Some of us were homeschooled. Some of us have advanced degrees. But I think all of us could probably relate to this, that sometimes it doesn't matter how much information you know. And even though we have Google, we could Google everything. But you just don't know what to do. And what do you do in those situations, Right? I mean, and there's all kinds of answers to that. You could turn on Dr. Phil or whatever the, the newest, you know, TV wisdom show is. You could ask your friends. Probably don't want to ask your friends who have made a train wreck of their own lives what to do. You might want to go to some people who have kind of seemed like they have some wisdom, and, 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 and you can ask for wisdom. But isn't it true also for us who believe in the scriptures that in James chapter 1, it says, if you need wisdom... You could go to him and ask, and he will give it to you. Well, how often do we actually just, like, engage that and apply that? How many of you guys have ever been in a situation where you're like, I just don't know what to think right now? I found myself in a situation like that when the, the, the past election candidates were, were, were going back and forth and Facebook's going nuts, and I felt like, all my friends were going nuts, right? And it's like, I just don't know what to think right now. Or the, the reality of terrorism in the world, don't know what to think right now. Or the, the, the racial tension that keeps getting stirred back up, which is really true. But then I go, like, I don't know the solutions. I don't know what to think right now. And isn't it good that we have a place to go where we can actually go to the scriptures and get some knowledge. And last week we saw that we need to be able to crino or judge or discern right from wrong. And so sometimes we need to do that. Well, even deeper than that, sometimes I just find myself, and I don't know if you guys can relate to this, where it's like, I, I think I know what I'm supposed to think right now, but I don't know how to feel right now. You ever get to a place where it's like, I just don't know what I'm supposed to feel in this situation. I just don't know what I'm feeling in this situation. And you just feel like this tornado is going on in the middle of you, and you don't know how to ground yourself. And that is exactly, I believe, where we're going to embrace this passage this morning in Matthew chapter 7. And, and it's about prayer. It's about where you run. How many of you guys would agree with this statement? everybody and to different levels and different degrees but everybody's going to get to a place where you're going to be overwhelmed at some point in your life and so it's where you run that's really going to make the difference and there's so many different places that we can run so i want to pray and then i want to dig into this passage and hopefully maybe hear from god and get some wisdom and some knowledge and i don't even know what the word is when you're just in an emotional turmoil and you just need God. I'm not sure what the name of that word is when he just comes. Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's hope. I'm not, uh, maybe it's all of the above, or maybe it's just, it's just deeper than all of those things could really capture. But, 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 uh, but we all need that. Amen? 
Well, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, sometimes we don't realize how much we need you. And sometimes things seem like they're going really well. And sometimes we feel like we can take credit for a lot of it. And sometimes things uh, are going more graciously than we thought. And then we can we can feel like we're lucky or or whatever, God. But we just declare this morning that you're good and that you are involved in on this earth. And that for many of us who know you, you're involved daily in our lives. And we just want to partner with that this morning. And we want to we learn how to come to you. Because we see in the scriptures that you came to us. We'll celebrate that this Christmas, that you came to us. And this morning, we want to learn to be people who regularly come to you. And we just pray that you would teach us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read some Bible. It's uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. A lot of tension in this passage. You know, I think the goal of, of studying the scriptures that were written 2,000 years ago is to go back and somehow be able to say, what did the original author mean to the original audience? And then when we can do that, we can bring it into our culture. We call that contextualization, right? We can contextualize and say, okay, now how do I apply it? in my life, and I just want to admit that this passage is very hard to do that. This passage is going to leave us with some tension. This passage is probably going to leave some people, uh, 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 wherever you're at, at different places. You're going to hear it differently. You're going to think of, about applying it differently, and that's okay. This is not a passage to be mastered. This is a passage about the master, who's so far above any th- way that we could think or, or imagine that there's no way we're going to be able to really p- perfectly put our thumb on how he does what he does. Is that, is that fair? Let's read. Matthew chapter 7, it's verse 7 through 11. says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So first off, there's lots of tension in there, and we'll read it. I'll I'll admit that I I have more questions than I have pinpoint answers when I read this text. And so our three points today are actually going to be three questions that I think are fair to look at. But before we do that, I think it's wonderful to look at this and see what Jesus is doing. What we know Jesus is doing, he's doing something that was very Jewish. Jewish rabbis would often come to their pupils and they would give an example that the people could relate to and they would say how much more than is something that they wanted to teach about god like uh, 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 this this is here's an example that you can kind of relate to right when you when you think about a dad and and imagine they're a cute little kid. Have I mean, you ever seen a kid where it's like, how could you say no to that face, right? You just imagine this cute little kid walking up to their dad and saying, Dad, um, I- I'm hungry. 
right? And it's like, who, what, what kind of dad, if their little kid came up and said, I'm hungry, is going to give him a rock to eat, right? No, he's going to give him something to eat, right? And, and yet, and the tension is, is how many of you guys think that if you're a dad and your kid's always coming up and saying, dad, dad, I want candy. Is a good dad always going to give their kids what they ask for? Of course not. And so there's tension building because he says, when you ask, he's going to do it for you. But does that mean anything that you ask, he's going to do for you? Or is there more nuance to this? Is there more tension in this? And of course, we know there is. It's what makes it more complex and makes us. You guys are waving me down. Am I. Good. Okay, you were just fanning each other. Let's all turn to each other and fan each other. All right, I thought maybe my microphone was off, which would be very fitting for the amount of sleep that I've had, right? So that's a good segue into our notes. Let's ground ourselves. So here's a couple questions I have when I read this passage, and really when I read it in context with the Sermon on the Mount, which he's already said some things about prayer. And the first thing that I ask when I hear this, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you with some more description. And then I think, why does he want us to ask? And it's not that I don't know that he wants us to ask. I believe that. As a Christian, I believe God wants us to pray, right? We all know that. But then if we dig a little bit deeper, we, we, could, we could ask this question, why does he want us to ask? And I think it's a fair question because back a chapter in Matthew chapter 6, when he tells us how to pray, he says this in verses 7 and 8. He says, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. So you might just stop and ask if God already knows what we need. Why does he want us to ask? If he already knows, right? It'd be like me coming up to you and saying something that you already know, and then Jamie would be like, well, thank you for that information, Captain Obvious, right? Right? So why does God want us to ask? But yet we know he does. But he doesn't really need, it's not like we're giving him information. Is that true? We're not going to give God any information when we pray, but somehow he's asking us to ask, and there's got to be a reason. And so in the scriptures, there may be more, but I found really two reasons why the Bible teaches us it's important for us to be people who come to him and ask. And the first one is this, to put the world right, to put the world right. And of course, this is an external reason. We come to God because we want to put the world right, right? I mean, anybody ever look at the news or or just live your life and realize there are some things on this earth that just aren't right. People not having food to eat isn't right. The foster care system is a is is a remedy because of a deeper problem and those deeper problems aren't right and they're complex and they have to do with with generational things and they have to do with all kinds of crazy things that, but we know they are not right. And how are we going to be people who invest our lives in trying to make the world a better place and trying to make the world right? And the Bible talks a lot about this idea of justice, that God cares about justice, but 
We learned in the Sermon on the Mount that justice isn't an eye for an eye. We feel like that when somebody wrongs us. We want justice. We want them wronged back in at least an equal amount because that's fair. But that's not what biblical justice is. Biblical justice is when God reorients things back to the way that he intends them to be because he's the judge and he judges what the way things are supposed to be and so true biblical justice is anytime things are reoriented back to the way God intends them to be and so when somebody wrongs us rather than wronging them back we love them in the attempt that maybe our love might reorient them back to the way God intended them to be and therefore justice is not an eye for an eye that makes sense or is because I'm, I'm not my 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 sense dar is not working so this morning you guys are going to need to get a little i'm awake i don't know if you know that you guys might want to just maybe an amen or oh my goodness omg right whatever let's do this but we want to put the world right now here's a tension that comes with this god does not need us in order to put the world right. Anybody have a problem with that statement? God does not need us in order to do anything. And yet God wants to partner with us, or probably a more appropriate way to say that, God wants to invite us to partner with Him in His attempt to bring justice to the world in which He's reorienting the world back to the way God intended it to be. And he wants us to pray so that we can be engaged with him and we can partner with him as he intends to do this. And so he says, be light and be salt and all these analogies. It's like, what does that mean? It means this. He wants to use us as a part of his process and his work of reorienting everything back to the way he intended it to be. And so prayer is important for this external reason. And Jesus taught us to pray like this when he said, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. We want your kingdom come. Another way to say that, we want you to bring your kingdom, which is where you bring justice, which is where you reorient everything back to the way God intended it to be. The kingdom of God is the place where everything is the way the king intends it to be. That's probably the best definition I've ever been able to come up with for what is the kingdom of God. And he wants us to pray. Now I'm going to share with you a passage that I'm just not going to lie to you this morning. It's also in James. It's James chapter 5. This passage has the ability to fillet me and stretch me beyond where I'm comfortable. And I'm trying this week to read this passage and saying, God, I want to be stretched in that way, though some of my, me doesn't. You ever get to that place? Like, God, help me want to? It's kind of where I'm at with this passage. I still have lots of questions when I read this passage, and yet I realize it's pulling me somewhere, and I want to go there, and I haven't figured out exactly what that looks like, and I hope that you're okay with a pastor who that's the case. I haven't figured it all out. But he says this in James 5, it's 13 through 17. He goes, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. 
Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise up. And if he commits sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power at his work as it as it is working. And he says, Elijah, who, if you don't know the Old Testament, is basically this really gnarly dude, gnarly with a G and in a good way. And he he is what it says about Elijah. You can read about him in in the Chronicles and the, and the books of the Kings. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was a human. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Can you, be, can you imagine just praying like that? Like, God, do something that is impossible. <clears throat> it stretches me. I, I know that I've prayed with so much what I believed was faith. And it says you only need the faith of a mustard seed. And I know I prayed with at least that much faith for a few people in my life who had cancer or were ill. And it just didn't seem to come out the way I thought it was supposed to come out. And therefore, I think that some of my prayer, my prayer strength like if I was a video game from back in the day with Nintendo and up in the right corner, you know, you'd have that energy bar of how you're doing. Sometimes my prayer goes a little bit low. My belief, energy, prayer level. Anyone relate to that? Because I prayed and it just didn't happen. And then what do I do from that? Where do I go with this passage? Well, I want to confess to you what I, where I've gone is apathy. I move on, I stop praying that way. And that's not okay. It's not where I'm supposed to be. I've, I've, I've been uncomfortable in the tension of these, what I would call unanswered prayers, though I think many people would say more correctly that God always answers prayers. It just doesn't always work out in the timing and, and all of that. And I just believe that's true. I don't know how it all works out. It doesn't always make sense to me, but I know God always answers somehow and yet when i'm uncomfortable in that tension i want to get pushed out and just stop and pray differently and i stop praying to put the world right and i i just start praying in other ways and that's one way the bible teaches us uh, why he wants us to ask and the second one is that he wants to align our hearts with him God wants to align our hearts with him. Jesus also has taught us to pray like this. He did say, your kingdom come. He also taught us to pray like this. Your will be done. In other words, in other words God has a plan and a will, and we want to align ourselves with God's plan and God's will, and we want to pray in that way. We want to be aligned with God. If he wants to partner with us, he wants us to be bold and ask, and he also wants us to be humble and pray the way he wants to pray. How many of you guys think if you could choose to have things go the way God intended them to go or the way you intended them to go with your limited uh, uh, imagination, your limited 
foresight into what could happen, what the consequences might be. How many of you guys would choose you and your wisdom over God and God's wisdom? But we do pray that way sometimes, or we think that way, or we live that way. And so he wants to align ourselves with him. And I think the word that's best used for me to understand this is the word surrender. In prayer, there should be some level of surrender. God, not my will, but your will. That's what we were taught by Jesus. Surrender. Or maybe another way to put that is, sometimes in prayer, we need to give up control. Anybody in here find it hard to give up control sometimes? I feel most comfortable when I'm in control, right? Because I can control it. The opposite of being in control is what? Being out of control, and I hate that. But that's not the opposite of being in control when we pray. The opposite of being in control when we pray is not being out of control, it's being in His control. And so it actually is a more beautiful thing, but we just have a hard time centering ourselves. And Tim Keller put it like this. I think this is probably the more brilliant way to say it. He said, it's a resting and trusting in God's care, in, in God to care for our needs. I'll say that again. Tim Keller says, when we pray to give up control, it's really a resting and trusting in God to care for our needs. How many of you got, I mean, just, just let that soak in for a second. If you could just rest and know that it's in God's hands. If you could just experience a moment of like, okay, peace. Because you know, you don't know what the future holds, but you know who holds the future, and you're letting him hold the future. And you just find this rest and this peace. It sounds great, right? And I think this is a piece of prayer, which is a gift to us that we don't always take advantage of. And then, of course, to do both simultaneously, I believe, is the goal. To do these both simultaneously is the goal. In other words, to pray that the God would, would, would allow us to partner with him to make the world right, to bring justice, to reorient things back to the way that he wants them to be. And at the same time that he's working through us, he's working in us. He's aligning us with him as he's calling us out to partner with him. You can't separate those two, I don't believe. When we say it sometimes like this, God will always work in you, and through you. For those of you guys who go to the Bring Me Hope camp, you're going to spend a week with these kids. It is going to stretch you, and God is going to work in you as much as he works through you. And why would prayer be any different? As we pray, God works in us, as he's also working through us. So why does he want us to pray? Hopefully that's a little bit Clearer, although, although I think we'll live our whole lives with some tension in this question. And number two, does God answer every prayer? I mean, listen, he goes, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Is there a might in there? Is the Greek, uh, Brittany, is the Greek might or is it will? It's will. Right? I thought you would know. That just went even more awkward than your announcement. That was the not sleep talking. 
right there. All right. But does God answer every prayer? It says he will answer every prayer, but there's obviously some tension in that. Can we agree with that? So it can be one thing to believe God will answer our prayers, but it can be another thing to have experienced it not happening, at least in a way that we can understand it. And I think maybe I just pinpointed why prayer is so hard for me, right? And maybe you feel the same way sometimes. So God, does God answer our prayers? Letter A is this. It says in the Bible that God answers the prayers of the righteous. Now in Proverbs 15, 29, it says that. It says the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the pra- prayers of the righteous. Does that mean God doesn't hear everything? No, we know God hears everything, but this is a relational type of hearing. Whereas if you know somebody, you have their ear, right? I can't just call up anybody I want who I know who they are and like have a conversation with them, right? I don't have access to them. And somehow this is a relational idea here and not a limitation of God's ability to hear or his heart for all people and his and his willingness to hear. It says in Psalm 34, 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. And in James 5, 16, it says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So does God answer every prayer? Well, it says in the Bible that God hears the prayers of the righteous and acts on their behalf. So I guess the next question would be, how do I become one of those people? (laughs) How do I be righteous, right? Of course, none of us are righteous if we're using a true godly standard. We're not perfectly righteous, which is what this table represents. We look at it every week, and the reality is that none of us are righteous because of us. We're only righteous, and remember, we're looking at this in a relational context. You you have a a relationship with somebody, and therefore, there's a context where you can have a conversation with them, a very real conversation. The deeper your relationship is, the more deep your conversation can be. Amen? And prayers like this is what Jesus is teaching us. And the way that we have a relationship with God, that we are right with God, that we're righteous relationally, is through the blood of Jesus and Jesus alone. So there's this great promise that we're going to celebrate as we take communion today, that because of what Jesus did, we all can be those people who are righteous in God's eyes because of the blood of Jesus and because of the blood of Jesus alone and therefore we have his ear we can pray and therefore my hope is that i would be like well why don't i more what a great privilege what a great privilege if you love disneyland and someone gave you a year pass all access with no blackout days to disneyland and you didn't even go one day, then you probably are, I'll choose my words wisely, I know I haven't sleep, not very smart. <laughs> Could have went bad right there. But, but, but we get this picture, and yet we, we don't realize that how much more ridiculous it is not to pray. And then we look at this and let her be that his answer is not always immediate, And his answer is not always what we ask for. I'll give you an example in the Bible. I I would say that uh, if if I was thinking of a righteous man, I bet you Apostle Paul probably makes that list. Anyone disagree? 
The righteous man, Apostle Paul, I bet you he makes that list. Well, he says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. He's talking about an ailment that he has. We think with maybe some kind of eye condition he has that's bothering him, that's hindering his ability to do his work, and he's praying fervently. He goes three times, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So there's tension in this, whereas we see Paul, a righteous man, praying, and God's answering him, saying, I'm not going to take away what you want me to take away, at least not right now, but I'm going to help you get through it. I'm going to be with you in the middle of it. And that's my answer. My grace is sufficient for you. So here's a weird question. I know that won't surprise you, even if you're new and have just been listening to me for the last however many minutes. It won't surprise you that I would say something weird but or think something weird. But I had this question myself. I wonder if I ever pray for snakes and rocks. I wonder if I ever, because it says if, 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 you're, if, if someone, if, if a good kid, if a kid asks their good dad, who's human, right? He says he's evil, but it just means he's human, he's flawed. If they asked him for a piece of bread, what, what kind of dad would give him a stone? But I guess you flip that around and go, what if you ask God for a stone to eat? What if a kid gave, asked their dad for, a, for a, a stone to eat? Do you think a good dad would go, here's a stone, why don't you eat this? You, I want to give you what you want so you don't have a temper tantrum, right? No, that wouldn't be a good dad. But I wonder if I ever asked for stones and snakes. But I don't know it. Because I think that what I'm asking for is so good, it makes so much sense to me. I've written a pros and cons list, and there's very few cons, and there are a lot more pros. So God, what are you even thinking right now? I need this. I mean, if you've never been honest with God like that, you got some work to do. At least I'm even at that point where I've had that conversation with God, where, I'm, where I had a little temper tantrum in my prayers. That God can handle it. But sometimes I wonder if I sometimes ask for rocks and snakes, but I don't realize it. And then I get mad at God because he doesn't give it to me. I think God always answers our prayers, but our limited understanding, we can't always understand how he's doing that. That certainly seems to be the case for Paul. It certainly has been the case for me. And How many of us, would give their kids whatever they asked for? That's a good question. How many of us think a parent should give their kids whatever they ask for? And you flip that, how much more? How, how many of you guys think that God should give every person whatever they ask for? It would, get, it would go south really bad, right? Like you got Dodger fans praying, God, just give us a win. We need a win. It's been since the 80s, right? And you got a Giants fan going, we already won three times this decade, right? So I know you love us more than you love those Dodger guys. And you got two people battling out in prayer. And how is this going to work out? So God can't answer everybody's prayer the way that they want to. And that's the tension 
that we find ourselves. But we do know this in the Bible, that he does give us above and beyond what we ask. He gives us above and beyond what we ask. In Ephesians 3, 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power of work within us. So God doesn't give us always what we ask in the timing that we ask and the way that we ask, but he always gives us what's best. And it's far above what we can even ask for. And this is the faith that comes. The faith is just trusting him with all of that. And so how do we apply all of this? And we'll have the worship team come back up. How do we apply all of this? I would say three ways. Number one, we pray with consistency. It seems to be what James is saying. If you are suffering, then pray. If you're going through a great time, then praise, which is a type of prayer. If you need healing, come have somebody pray for you. Pray in all circumstances. Pray with consistency. N.T. Wright, I think, challenges me with prayer the most when he says this. He goes, but for most of us, the problem is not that we are too eager to ask for the wrong things. Because I would say, like, God, if, when we're trying to figure out, does God answer every prayer? I go, well, what if I ask for something that he doesn't want? What if I haven't aligned myself with him and I'm being selfish? What if I'm being harmful? What if I'm asking for rocks and snakes? then I don't want God to answer, right? Didn't Garth Brooks come up with a song like that, the great theologian Garth of the Brooks, right? He says, thank God for unanswered prayers. Is that the right artist? I mean, I'm not a country guy. Obviously, I'm more of a hip-hop guy. (laughs) But thank God for unanswered prayers, but we pray for consistency, and N.T. Wright goes, but... For most of us, the problem is not that we are too eager to ask for the wrong things. It's just not the problem that we should be looking at or or the tension I should be struggling with. But the problem is that we are not eager enough to ask for the right things. That's me. God, I need to be a man who's going to ask you to allow me to partner with you and to help me partner with you and to ask and be consistent and we need to pray with humility i think we at least can get to this point where we know we pray consistently and with humility i don't want to pray for rocks and snakes but i have to admit that i might sometimes not understand everything the way god does and there is at least a potential that I might ask for things that he doesn't want to do because he knows they're not best, and in that time, I'm asking for rocks and snakes. And I should have some humility to say, maybe I asked for a rock and I thought it was bread, just like your kid asks for a donut when they're hungry instead of an orange. Amen? So some humility. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus of all people, should have all wisdom, does have all wisdom, and yet he prays like this. Going a little farther, he fell face down, and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, 
but as you will. Even Jesus is caught up in this turmoil of emotions like we talked about in the beginning where I believe I, he knew what to think. He knew what was right. But he was unsettled with how he should feel in this moment. And maybe a better way, he was overwhelmed and not able on his own to ground himself and stabilize his emotions. And so he comes to his father and says, I'm going to need some help right now. I'm going to need some help right now with my emotions. I know this is what you have for me, but I'm just going to need you to come and hold me through it as we walk towards the cross. And so there's a great lesson of humility, and we should pray with importunity. Now, if you're like, what? The reason I picked this word is because I read it in a commentary. I thought, that's a cool word. Importunity. And I thought, it sounds like important. I want to be importunity, right? And that's not what it means. Importunity means to ask in a way that almost feels inappropriate. The Jewish people would say it like this. Pray with chutzpah. We would often use in our vocabulary this, with audacity. Can you believe he had the audacity to ask for that? Did you know that if, if I was just trying to explain to you based on my own understanding that I would never teach you to pray like that? But I have to be honest with you that Jesus did teach us to pray like that. Did you know that? We'll close with this passage. It says in Luke chapter 11, verse 5 through 13, a parallel passage from Matthew. He goes, he also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a good friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. And then he will ask, he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me, I'm sleeping, right? The door's already locked. My children have gone to bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Like, do you know what time it is? But I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will give up, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And then Jesus says, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and the one who seeks knocks. And the one who, I mean, sorry, the one who knocks, the door will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are human or evil, but it means human, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Not only does God give us what he asks, but he gives us himself. He gives us his advocate. He gives us his Holy Spirit to come and help us be aligned with him, to help us partner with him. And he wants us to ask, and I would say uncomfortably, but theologically, he wants you to ask with shameless boldness. Would you describe your prayer life as shameless and bold? 
I wouldn't. And yet I want to be more consistent. I want to be more humble. And I want to be risen up with belief that I can shamelessly ask Him for anything, even if it's not the right thing, as long as I do it in humility and say, God, this is what I'm asking. I know you're smarter than me. I know you're better than me. We're going to join in in prayer right here. I got the the, the, the role going go right into worship. I know you're better than me. I know you are smarter than me. I know you're wiser than me. I know you're the source of peace that I really need. And God, we just want to come to you wherever we're at this morning. We just want to declare we need you and we want you. We, we, we ask that you would do everything that you want to do through this body, through these people, through your church worldwide, that you would change the world and reorient it back to the way you intend it to be. And thank you for choosing to use us in our weakness. And the whole time it just points to your greatness. And that's what we want most. In Jesus' name, amen.